Hey, well, well done, everyone, on getting through week one. Uh, I think I came undone at the icebreaker uh, because I asked you what makes you fully alive. And, you know, it's a little time pressure. Uh, and everyone's saying wonderful things like the outdoors, which is not, um, and just really genuinely amazing things. And I wanted to say actually doing washing. Um, and so I had this battle on myself. Do I be authentically healthy and confess that, you know what, when you get a load done and it's dry and you've folded it and you've actually put it away, that is bliss. But I don't want to be, um, you know, crazy on day one when you've got a new group of people. So I tried to say just doing things. Like, oh. So um, it's been a challenge to be authentic from day one. We just wanted to encourage you with your groups um, because like Sam said, it's, it's been hard already and um, there are some really strict guidelines which I think I'm wanting you know, to kind of say, oh look, you know, just do your best. But actually these things are really important. You're going to get the hang of it that it's really important to make those I statements and um, bless you as you navigate your way through that and come back and be like, oh, I meant I. And the other thing is just being really aware of that not wanting to jump in and fix. And I think as Christians, you know, we're really great at this because we really want to see people, you know, being blessed on their journey and doing really well and feeling encouraged. But if someone says, look, I'm just, I'm really identifying that this is something I deal with, we can just let that sit there because that's their, the work that's happening in themselves. And um, we do that out of love. And even at our group, I was thinking, oh, but I really want to say, no, that's okay. You're going to be good. But just try and let those things sit, because that's how we're going to build our vulnerability. And that's actually how we're going to build our safety, because we're going to allow each other to say statements. That is our honesty. So doing that, making your eye statements, and just being really aware of your boundaries is going to be a big part going forward. And you know, good luck with the icebreaker. I realize we can actually see these things in advance, you could prep an icebreaker. You could have a winner of a week and say, here's my true authentic self. So last week we looked at like identifying the fact that we're actually a wee bit unhealthy, and this is the first of the next seven weeks that are like the pathways into the things that make us really emotionally healthy. And I'm just going to have to manage myself because I'm so excited by this book, and I'm a total fangirl about this book. Sam gave me this book last April. I've read it three times. I'm right back into it again. I, well, I'm going to apologise, but I'm not really ashamed of it. So I'm totally obsessed with it. And um, so it's been like, what not to say? So I think either I can go super fast and just say everything, um, but then I'm so aware of the small people. But also, there's just so much good stuff in it. And I picked this chapter that I really want to share on because I just feel it's my life's work has been about knowing myself, wanting to bring freedom to people that they know themselves, and in that journey, knowing more about God. So I'll really try and just be cool, you know, hold it together. Uh, not get too carried away, but it just kind of comes out of uh, any time I speak or any time I talk to people, this is the stuff that really excites me, and I've had a little bit of a head start um, because I've been raised by parents that have strongly believed in this, and a little bit counterculture in the 70s and what was happening in church at the time, we didn't talk about feelings and doubt and trying to make sense of God, but because of some significant personal things that happened to my parents, they put us on a path in which this is going to be our norm and part of their like professional background. So I kind of have a combination of uh, my mum is trained as a counsellor. Uh, my dad's an engineer but actually uh, is constantly after questioning really into Plato and Socrates. And so I had a childhood where questions were very open, which is actually quite alarming as a child when you want some pretty clear boundaries and just to know. But a lot of like, what do you think about that and how could we see that and why is that happening? So I have kind of feel really... Uh, blessed that I had a bit of a head start and that that was their priority. We learnt to make I statements. 
you know, when you trip me up um, outside, I feel angry and I want to hit you, but I won't, and those kind of things as a kid. We had a phenomena, which I didn't realise was weird, because, you know, when you grow up in your family, you think that's really normal, until you just start to work out that other people aren't doing what you're doing, and you're like, ah, oh, so I'm either everyone's weird, or we're a little bit weird. So we had uh, what we called family therapy. Now, therapy is a very common name now. It wasn't so common, you know, in the 80s as a family. And so that was sitting around the table, and you had to wait for that night to bring up your issues. So I um, really struggled, well, I would still struggle with that because I tend to process out loud. So whatever's happening for me would be happening for me and it would, you'd have to wait for family therapy night. Then it would be your turn. So then I'd go for it and just say, I'm really annoyed about this and I'm having a crisis about this and it's a problem here. And, but then also people would go for it towards you. So it, it was hard to be on the receiving end of the things, well, Charlotte, uh, these are the things that we're struggling with to do with you. And because I just couldn't shut my mouth, I would then engage in a whole lot of argument. And my brother would be sitting next to me kicking, not the chair, but just me, just being like, shut up. The only way out of here is if we shut this thing down by not talking. And I just, I couldn't, I always had to say, yeah, but that's really unfair. Or just, I just blurted all the time. I find it really hard now to not blurt. And and just kind of want to get all those thoughts out. So it was, I don't know if it was a healthy, we're still processing as a family as adults now, the four of us siblings, whether that was family therapy or maybe has driven us towards the need for actual therapy. But the, the idea was that this is the space that you air stuff out. And it's a fantastic idea. And we actually, it's so interesting what you take on board as an adult and as a parent yourself. We, our dinner table, the rules are you are allowed to talk. It's not quite as managed and it's not quite as, um, you know, things come up actually all the time because I seem to have raised uh, two boys who are quite articulate as well. So, but we do have a rule that the dinner table is where you can just say stuff. So it has, there's been some evolution of that. But I've been really... Lucky that that has been in my language, but actually it's been very hard because self-awareness <laughs> provides a huge burden when you're like so aware of who you are and why you are, and it's actually still a battle whether you choose to let that part out. So as much as I've been raised and educated, the actual bravery to let that part of myself out has taken a long, long time. And partly the fact of coming to Napier was, in God's wisdom, a really significant physical event that made me say... 42, which is some 44. Yeah. After all this time, I will actually be me. I will be me on every single level. That's what you guys have got. And in every single circumstance. And I still struggle to remember to put that me forward. But I'm trying to honour that, the things I've learnt, the things that God has taken me through. Because that's what brings the grace and peace in my life has been myself. And learning, just learning that other people are them and that you're you, and there's a whole lot of negotiating with this. So this is what we're about to go through in this uh, chapter. This is me trying to play at court, totally hasn't worked at all. Um, this is the stuff I really want you to get, and I don't mean like get it today and then be masters in it. I just mean this is what I want to come out of today. So the word I really felt was permission. I want you to have permission uh, to have feelings, to acknowledge them, to name them, and to feel them. Now, I don't mean get super messy and like let it all out all the time because it's a wee bit dangerous, but you know, in, in the kind of in a healthy way that we're going to learn, but to actually acknowledge those feelings. I think as Christians, we have denied ourselves our feelings because we've been trying to have the joy of the Lord, which you know sounds manic, but actually is about deep joy, or we've been trying to just let it happen, you know, praise the Lord, as opposed to saying, I'm actually really angry. 
I'm really angry and I'm massively disappointed and I can't see God. We've forgotten that he can actually handle that. And we've forgotten that we don't actually have to come to church with our faces on. That's what's so exciting about this series. If we become a group of people who let our faces down a little, then we're acknowledging unity. That So I want you to feel that permission because I think as Christians we've actually made it harder for ourselves. And like Alan said, God has feelings and he made us in his image so we're allowed to have feelings. So you have permission to have feelings. Do you know what? He made all the feelings, not just the good ones as well. He made all the feelings. He feels all the feelings. The second thing is to know who you are and know what defines you. So like I said, don't have to get it sorted today. Think of it as a life's work, a life's battle, knowing who you are and why you are that way. I found it so freeing to know that I'm an introvert. Now, like I've said to you before, it's not convincing when I'm standing here because what people assume is that introverts are quiet and shy and reserved. An introvert is a person who is energized by being by themselves. I am not necessarily energized by being in a group of people, but when I do this, and I could do this to millions of people, I'm doing this, it's a role, it's a thing I like to step into, it's something that I love, and it's actually not, we're not engaging on every single level, that would slightly overwhelm me if we did Q&A. 100 people, that kind of thing. But I found freedom in that kind of the way I function as an introvert because I can say, do you know what? I'm not going to be great at going to that group. That's not going to work for me. Or Sunday I do need to maybe close the door in my room and hide for a few hours, you know, just to balance out Sunday morning. And it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And knowing that I have an extrovert of a husband who even last night was an example of we need to do more stuff. And I'm like, no, we don't. We did one thing. I'm done. I don't need to do more stuff. We should shut everything down. <laughs> and he's like, no, I might stay and watch the rugby. And I was like, you might stay and watch it. We haven't, it's not in, my, it's not in the calendar. Um, I haven't processed what that looks like for us as a family. And he's just like, I just need to do something with people. And I say, like, oh, oh, yeah. So I, I forget that because I'm driven by my, we should do one thing and do it well, and then we should shut it down. So the other thing I want you to know is that we are journeying towards vulnerability. And this is the stuff we need to let God into. And finally, as a community, we'll have a shared understanding of why this is precious. We are doing this this term, but this shapes who we are as Bay Vineyard. This is our value of depth. This is our value of community, that we would see each other for who we are, and we would draw that out of each other. And this is what will draw people to us, because we are going to show them this is who Jesus is. This is what is church looks like so it is and we're setting a huge goal but this shapes who we are and it's so exciting that so many of you are involved in this journey so you would have realized by now you're hearing it up the front you're reading it you're work booking it it's in a video it's in your daily office it's all the same information just coming at you in different ways but it it will take a while to process it so um feelings we've talked about i just want to race through some of this stuff early on the fact that um that God has created human beings to feel a wide range of emotions. There's our permission. It's actually dangerous to ignore them, and it's actually dangerous to leave the difficult ones unchecked. Those are the ones that we need to pay attention to as well. We need to allow our feelings to be recognised so that we can know more of who we are and know more of who God is. 
what I really want to look today is at the different false selves uh, that we have. And this is from chapter 2 in Pete Scazzaro's book. And um, he talks through Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And he outlines three false identities or masks or choices that we have to make in terms of our identity. So I'm going to read from the message as well. It was um, cool that Alan chose that today. Um, about the time when Jesus is tested by the devil. So now Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wild. For 40 wilderness days and nights, he was tested by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when the time was up, he was hungry. The devil, playing on his hunger, gave the first test. Since you're God's son, command the stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to really live. For the second test, he led him up and spread out all the kingdoms of the earth on display at once. Then the devil said, they are yours in all their splendor to serve your pleasure. I'm in charge of them all and can turn them over to whomever I wish. Worship me and they're yours. The whole works. Jesus refused. Again, backing his refusal with Deuteronomy. Worship the Lord your God and only the Lord your God. Serve him with absolute single-heartedness. For the third test, the devil took him to Jerusalem and put him on top of the temple. He said, if you are God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. You won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Yes, said Jesus, and it's also written, don't you dare tempt the Lord your God. That completed the testing. The devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. (laughs) Prior to this... A phenomenal account. Jesus has had his identity stated. There's the genealogy that tracks Jesus, um, you know, includes Adam, God, and Joseph. It fully wraps up who Jesus is that he's the second Adam, that his father's Joseph, that his father's God. You know, with this beautiful genealogy, I talked it through at Advent, just that lineage from where he comes through, that is stating this is who Jesus is. So that's just happened prior to this testing. The other thing that's just happened is the most beautiful baptism service of all kind. And that in that moment, there is a visible evidence of God. There's the dove descending, there's the audible voice, and it's God speaking as the Father to his Son who has done nothing yet, nothing at all. And it's the Father saying he is well-pleased and he is loved. And all of this has been witnessed. So this is happening like heaven and earth coming together in a moment. So Jesus' identity is so clearly known without a doubt, and the genealogy is backing that up as well. And it is interesting that Jesus hasn't done anything. There's no miracles. Didn't, hasn't died for anyone yet. But he is so affirmed and loved and seen for who he is. And Peter Scazzaro translates God's words as this. You are lovable. You are good. It is so good that you exist. If you started every morning with you are lovable, you are good, and it's so good that you exist, and you pass it on to one other person, there would be a revolution of change. Those are such grounding words. That is enough for you. It's a tank filler. It's total wholeness just in that phrase. And the love, it was the foundation of Jesus's self-understanding and the root source of how he felt about himself. After this temptation, he goes into ministry. He doesn't go into ministry as we know with bells and whistles and everything went super darn well. He literally disappointed people. He literally disappointed his family, his mum, his friends, his disciples, crowds, 
But he went into his ministry, and we can know from that he knew exactly who he was. He's tempted in the worst way. He survives that. But more importantly than that, he knows who he is. This is our model. This is what he's saying to us. We are so deeply loved. We need to anchor ourselves in that as we explore who we are. That is going to be the challenge for you in this course, that you are going to take it as criticism. Because you're not, if you don't know who you are, no, I don't know who I am. If you haven't sorted out aspects of your personality and your family and stuff, you're processing, oh, God's not going to love me till I do. The truth is going into this, from this point on, you are loved, you are good, it is good that you are alive. And it's fantastic that you're embracing this. We need to, we don't have to conjure up bravery from ourselves. It's not unusual for the world to kind of talk about self-improvement. It's actually, you know, this would be a really safe sermon to kind of give to anyone. It's not, it's really trendy. You know, mindfulness and reflecting on who you are and exploring who you are. But the difference for us is we're actually not doing it ourselves. And thank goodness, we're not doing it ourselves. And we're doing it from a point of being loved. We're not trying to be loved. He, he won't love you more at the end of this term because you've really nailed it. You've cried quite a lot. You got quite vulnerable and you worked out, yep, no, I am slightly more extroverted than I thought I was and I'm on this personality thing and I've nailed this stuff about my family. He won't actually love you more because he loves you already. But you will have a rich life and you will know who you are and the things that you'll be able to do with God will be more and the impact you'll be able to have will be greater. But it's not going to make him love you more. So just try and keep that as you brave all these next things. It's sadly for us that we face those same cruel words and we need to remember that God's love for us is enough. The first temptation we face is, I am what I do. I am what I do. I would like to be the poster girl for that particular temptation. I am what I do. I loved, absolutely loved the job I left behind to come to Napier. I had no reason to leave it other than it didn't belong in Napier and I was moving to Napier. I loved it and it fulfilled everything about me in terms of my personality, in terms of how I like to work, in terms of professionalism, in terms of influence. It was fantastic and it was quite a good career trajectory because it started, I started to build a reputation and be known in education, which is in, though in, in a city you need to be known to kind of uh, further develop yourself. No one in Napier kind of knows Charlotte in that capacity. And there wasn't a job for me that would have equaled what I'd done. But what had been interesting, and I didn't actually know it at the time, but because I arrived here uh, and didn't have a job, and no one seemed to want to give me a job, um, I had to face, who was I? Because I was so clear on me. I'd worked when my babies were little, and I'd found work to be my mental health. And so I had not not worked. I'm I'm first-time stay-at-home mum. I get to work from home, and my kids come home, and I can stop doing what I'm doing and be there for them. It's a very new challenge for me. I did not like it when they were little. I really needed that balance in my life, and I'm learning not to feel completely guilty for that. That's a whole other walk in itself. But I really was defined by my job. I love my job. There wasn't a lot of problem in that. A lot of the time I really felt a sense of the Holy Spirit as I engaged with people and talked to people. But I hadn't realized until it was gone how much that defined who I was. And I really struggled not knowing what to say I did. It's fun now because if you say you're a children's and families pastor, that shuts a whole lot of conversations down. Or lovely people say, oh, so you teach the Sunday school. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I teach the Sunday school. But not saying a thing that you do, so I, I don't do anything. 
and trying to explain that, I found that so hard. I found it on top of the moving here and being alone and not quite knowing what we were doing and still trying to get our house settled and all those other details, I didn't do. I didn't have anything I did. So I really, really struggled with what that meant. And slowly over this time, in the time that you've known us, that's what God's been working on. Because even though I do something, I can't be defined by what I do now anyway. And I have to understand that my dreams that I had are still in God's plan. He hasn't said, oh, so you've stopped that job now. So your whole big plan for how you're going to save the world, Charlotte, that's actually gone. I've had to open up the fact that he is actually in control. And then different things come, different things will happen. Different things will happen. And it's not actually things that define me. So uh, when Jesus is faced with that, he hasn't done anything either. And that's what Satan goes after. If you are the son of God, if you are. And that same voice will come to you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And Satan has gone after the heart of his identity and he's challenged his name and his identity and he's trying to push him in to do something. Show yourself. I mean, Jesus totally could have done that, could have turned everything into bread. But he's not been told who he is by Satan. His identity is in God. That voice knows how to get at us and just where to come for us, the thing to come for you under whatever you are struggling with because society demands that same thing. Who do you think you are? What have you done? How useful are you? What will you do? How do you contribute? We are challenged within ourselves to measure ourselves on what we do and who we have in our lives and how we're performing. The temptation then, we need to find our worth and our value inside God as opposed to outside of God. We need to be uh, that freedom for us to be known that we are loved by Christ and not what we do. The second one is I am what I have. And that voice again, look around at what everyone else has. You don't have anything. How can you think you are somebody? How will you survive? You are a nobody. The voice plays on our fear and our source of security. And our culture measures success by what we own. I'm in a constant state of humility driving my car. It is not the car I had in Christchurch. It is the car Luke found here when he first moved up that was going to be easier than always hiring one when he was looking for work and starting a job. It has been dented. I I dented it, but (laughs) somehow it got dented. Uh, It has got some, it has got all sorts of issues. It hangs in there though, it passes warrants and every time I'm like, no, don't pass the warrant. And I've left it on the street, no one's taken it, just saying. It is just for me every, and now I've got a pillow system because it's got these cool like lean back seats and that's not good for aged people with back, so I've got multiple, and I've chosen really bright coloured pillows because they're the ones I could find, and every time I get in it, I'm like, oh, and it's slightly too low, and I'm trying to sit properly, and and just everything about it is humiliating, it's so humiliating, and I can't fit all my groceries in the back because most of the preschool is in the back of the car, and then the window comes down about two inches, and so when I lock the car, I then push the window up, (laughs) look around, and I'm like, hello, pack and save. And I just, I'm just, I'm ashamed of it every time. But it's such a good car. It's not died, it blows smoke, but no one's picked that up on the warrant. It just, it is, it's just not what I, I just, I picture myself in one of those little kind of cute bubbly cars that are very immaculate, you know, with nothing in it and no scratches. And I just, that's how I see myself. But I'm in a slightly dodgy car that is going well. I think, no, don't thank it. I'm not accepting it. I just want you to know it's not who I am. (laughs) But we can't define ourselves by the things that we possess. And it is so easy to look at other people's stuff. 
and wish that we had their stuff. And someone may be looking at you and wishing they had your stuff. No one, ha- if they want it, it's out there. Suzuki Cultus. <laughs> but it is counterculture that we're not going to define ourselves by our stuff. It really is counterculture. But it's so much expectation, let alone from advertising, but just from colleagues' comments. There could be anything that makes you that need to define yourself by your stuff. The third one is, I am what others think. This is the one to do with popularity, which you may think you're exempt from because you're no longer a teenager and your life doesn't revolve around Instagram, Caspian Buxton. But um, (laughs) as I pointed out to Cass, I haven't gotten any better. I'm just not a teenager now, but I am still wanting that to be seen, still want to be special, still check and think, oh, a few people liked mine. Some people didn't like it. Oh, yeah. What are they saying? We're not exempt from social media as grown-ups, but we're also not exempt from that temptation to put on a a version of ourselves. And church is a harrowing place for that. I really struggle with that as well. If I'm truly me, what will you think? If I'm truly me, what will you think? If I'm truly me, and you see me standing at the back of the church, and I'm like, ugh, that's not wearing my pastor of children and families. Welcome to church. (laughs) Thank you, church planting. But it actually might be the truth. I might be counting and think, oh my goodness, there's 65 children. Have I got enough people on? I mean, this is exactly what happens. Have I got enough? Have I got enough apples? Oh no, there's not enough chips. I don't think I've done that thing. That is what's going through my head. You will walk past me and think, oh, she doesn't look very happy. And she should be because she's planted this church and she should be putting her Sunday on. Sundays are the challenging place to, should we really brave and be our true selves? It's really important that we are authentically ourselves because as soon as you do that, you allow someone else to be. As soon as you do it, maybe not so much about you, you've actually released someone else to be their true self. Satan invited Jesus to throw himself down from the heights so that people would believe in him. Do something flash so you can be famous. But true freedom comes when we don't need to be special in someone else's eyes. I can tell you cute stories about my desire to be special, I wanted to, I went to ballet. I'm not, you may realize now, designed to be a ballerina. It was probably worse when I was smaller because I couldn't breathe in enough to stop my stomach from looking like a malnourished child and my bottom to look like it belonged to another person. So I never got the kind of thing. And in my head, I was Anna Pavlova. But in reality, it was not happening. And then for the end of year breakup, It was this beautiful play about um, making Christmas cakes and Christmas puddings. I was an almond. Almonds almonds are one colour, and that colour is beige, which may or may not be confused with being undies. I wore a full leotard of beige. This is not a body to put in a beige leotard and a beige hat. And so I did, and Danielle Jenkinson was a coconut ice, wore purple with netting and sparkles and had and a fast-moving dance. Mine was, st- I had to be still. I think they, they met their match in me. But I didn't get to, I desperately wanted to be special. And I didn't get to be special. Another instance, we had a Santa parade in Christchurch and as a child I got invited to be part of it. I wanted to have something to throw into the crowds because then you could engage with the crowds. I was just on a float and I had to wave. I picked the f- foil off the edge of the float and gathered it up so I could throw it. 
and I could join in with the lovely, pretty people who'd been given the throwing jobs. I'm driven with a desire to be special and to be seen and to be noticed. It's only because I'm an adult that gets horrifically embarrassed that I manage to keep that in check. And it's not so cute when you're an adult to confess that you'd actually quite like to be special. It's not kind of an endearing quality to really want people to notice you. We know how to manage that a bit better as an adult, but it's still something that is troublesome for us. It's still something that affects us. So it is the same dynamic whether we are cute and little or struggling with stuff as a teenager. The same dynamic as an adult. Do we put on our pretend life so that we can be recognised by other people as that kind of person? The devil retreats. The temptation is over. Jesus begins his ministry. He disappoints people. He heals people. He saves the world. But he knows his father's love. And what we can take from this is that he felt and he reacted and he had feelings, but he knew who he was. He'd been set up, this is my son, who I love, who I'm well pleased with, before he did any of this. Living your God-given life involves remaining faithful to your true self. It entails distinguishing your true self from the demands and the voices around you and discerning the unique vision, calling, and mission the Father has given you. We are entering into a journey that could be very hard at times, but it will gently and carefully awaken you to your false layers. Listen for those. Listen for those wee prompts from the Holy Spirit and God teaching you things. We are wanting to move towards our true self, and the Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring about this freedom. So we're going to look at four practical things that are going to help you with your journey. The first one is paying attention to your interior in silence and solitude. That's your daily office. That's the key component to this course. We cannot be uh, emotionally mature and spiritually mature without engaging with a contemplative lifestyle because it is in that stillness that is so revealing. Who's tried it this week? Who's totally nailed it? Uh, (laughs) It is very hard to be still and silent for two minutes. Because the weirdest things come into your head. And the, busy, the whirring of the busyness is so hard. But I encourage you that it will work. I mastered 30 seconds the first times I've tried it. And I've been trying it for over a year now. And I would look at the clock and be like, how can it still be on 30 seconds? I've been solid and still in solitude and all thinking about Jesus. But I, my brain has just takes so long to calm down and wind down. And then I gave myself some grace and think, just write the stuff out, shall it get out of your head? Then go back and try again. Then I get to a minute. And I, then I just be so defeated because it says in the writing, for two minutes do this. And I think, oh, I think, no, the grace of the thing is just try it. But it has taken me such a long time to stop the whirring, and it has been so revealing what is hidden in the fact I can't be silent. I love podcasts because I get that cranking and I do five other jobs. And I, I take in information, but there is a difference to being fed by the silence of being with Jesus. And it has revealed more about me in the silence than I could learn in another way because it is God gently putting his finger on, why are you doing this this way, Charlotte? Why are you doing this way? What is happening here? And I have um, only mastered the two minutes by physically in my head, I open a door of a very long hall like this, a big grand door, and I take time to put my bags down. Now, I don't know what's in them, but I just feel like to get this, I've got to let go of a whole lot of things. So I put my bags down. I take my shoes off because I'm not a shoes off person. But I'm trying to say that I'm just wanting to meet with God. So I take my shoes off. Then I walk down this long thing. So this is taking probably the 30, 40 seconds 
of the thing, but I'm still and I'm quiet. It's just I had to have something happen in my head to get myself to do that. At the end of the long haul, there's this beautiful green, for some reason, don't read into it deeply, but green couch, and that's where God sits, and I get on the couch, and I sit next to him, and I'm still. But I couldn't do it straight away. Some people are very clever at that kind of thing, and they're wired to be slightly less manic and panicky people. For those of us who have slightly more things wearing in our heads, may I suggest that you try something that takes you into the presence of God. There's no magic in the hall, the shoes, the bags, the couch, but I get there, and that's the thing I want to learn. It was only this week that I realized I could just go there. I thought, oh, I felt a bit bad that I'd left behind my hall and my couch. I wondered what was happening with those things in my head. But I've, it's the desperation for that stillness there that pushes me to go just there. And I have loved this, and I really encourage you, you will thrive on that. Because the distractions keep us from listening to our feelings, and they keep us from being tuned into the things about ourselves that we like or don't like or what we have dreams for ourselves. So we need that silence, and we need to be alone so we can listen. And we need to allow ourselves to feel. Some of you might need to journal some of the things that comes out of the daily office or process it with someone. But that slowing down is so significant. The second thing is to find some trusted companions. Now, this means a few trusted companions. You don't need a whole lot of people to talk through this journey with, but you will need some. You will need some carefully chosen people. If you are someone that prefers to be alone, be aware of this and engage with community. If you're someone that prefers community, be aware of that and engage with being alone. There's good things in both of that. But you only need a few people that you might say, can I just talk to you about some of the stuff that's coming up for me? Because two things will be factors. There's pressure from others to keep you who you are. So a lot of people say to me, do you find it really hard that you're not working? Do you find it really hard that you're not doing the job you were doing? And I need to push back and say, I am working. And I am doing the job I believe God has called me to do for this moment. And I haven't changed, you know, because there's a lot of concern about your career track and education. And, you know, what would I turn around now and say that I've been doing? But I am educating. And I do believe that there's things that I am changing and still able to do. So the pushback from other people is something you'll need to be aware of. Whenever you change something about you, people will say, oh, that's different. Is that going to last? Is that interesting for you? So you need to be aware of that. Plus, inside your own stubborn self-will, you need to be aware that you are very able to deceive yourself. So that's why you need companions, because you need to have someone to say, hold me to account. This is what I'm changing about myself. I'm going to be more honest. So if you catch me saying, oh, no, that's fine, and you know that's not true, just say, you just said it. Just one or two people to do that. could be a mentor. It could be counselling. It could just be your significant relationship in your life, because they are a big mirror to what's going on with you, but just carefully and slowly peel off those layers. The third thing is to move out of your comfort zone. Now, that's already happening just by doing this thing we're doing, and you're going to have to embrace the awkwardness, and you're going to have to give space to yourself because truth is just going to bubble to the surface, and you're going to need a little bit of time to process it. Um, it can be quite lonely and painful as some of this comes to light, but just small things that you're going to change. You're going to receive a compliment and just say, Thanks. Small thing. If you have been a person that has struggled with that, that is a massive change. And you are saying, I'm making the change. Or you might wade into conflict because you've never liked conflict. You might say, okay, I can do this. I'm going to make a small change. Or you might just own your statements. Or you might need to confront someone. 
Um, for Pete Scazzaro, the pain of living life that was not God's finally was greater for him than the pain of change. He says, I took years of hurting, it took years of hurting to get me to listen to God from within myself, to allow myself to ask the question, am I living faithfully to the life God has asked me to live? And this is what brought about this whole course and the whole theology behind why we're doing it. Finally, ask yourself that same question. Keep in communication with God. He's okay if you're not having a good day with it. He's okay if you're a bit overwhelmed with it. Be courageous with your conversations and vulnerability with him because he is a safe place. And the fourth thing is to pray for this courage because there's going to be reaction. Change in authenticity stirs up issues for other people just as much as yourself and there's going to be discomfort. So there's also some other different tools available to you. I think it's so important to know your personality. And I'm not just talking about, like, am I a golden retriever or a hippo, those kind of ones. I'm talking slightly deeper than that, although they can be helpful to start with. It's important that you start to know who you are, not because you want to be boxed, because I know there's some of you that will instantly feel like, well, I can't be boxed because I'm not one of 16 combinations. What it is is actually quite freeing to have an anchor point that says, I think I do this because I am wired this way. Because then you start to free other people because you think, I think they react like that because they are wired that way. So even learning about introversion and extroversion, which one are you on the continuum? Do you juggle between two? Were you more like one as a child and now you've become more like something else? How do you feel after big gatherings like Sunday? How do you feel at a week when you haven't talked to someone and suddenly think, I'm craving people? How do you manage both those things for you and in a relationship for the other person? Those things are important. Are you people-focused or task-focused? That's another just entry level starting to think, how am I wired? What wires me the way I am? Why am I like I am? These are the kind of things that we'd encourage you to start talking about. Um, Strength Finder is an amazing tool, fantastic tool, been a life-changing tool for me. And Strength Finder is an online assessment that you can do. There's 34 different strengths. By the nature of the language, it's strength-based. Joel is an expert on these things. It is strength-based language because when it's breaking down your personality, it's not saying here's some really terrible things about you and here's some okay things. Everything is from a point of strength. An assessment will give you your top five, which is a good place to start, and it will give you a top five in terms of the order, which will kind of shape who you are, because even if your top five was the same as someone else, the combination is quite significant. You can go into exploring um, some kind of mentoring alongside that. Luke and I did that a few years ago as a couple, which was really interesting in terms of it's been one of the most grounding things in our marriage, what are our strengths. My number one strength is individualization, which basically means I'm very interested in people on a kind of one-to-one way, and I'm interested in how people work. And for me, um, that has been helpful because it means I can own that and say, actually, this is how I work. I work really well in that kind of one-to-one way. My second one is empathy, and that's been really helpful for me because I actually realize what I do with that is I switch off when quite a lot of terrible things happen, Not because I don't have empathy, because I have it in bucket loads. And I need to actually, I think, oh, no, I can't cope with that. So I actually compartmentalise. So often if something terrible is happening, I won't be the one necessarily crying about that or the one that's kind of motivated to do something about that. I am feeling it so much that I've had to learn to manage it. And I can... um, My Joel is the same. And we um, we talk about... You know, we, we get affected by ads or we get affected by just 
little snippets of information, hearing something about someone. And it's been great to coach him through what do we do with that? What does it mean when we actually feel strongly about something? Is it a, it's a strength, but it actually feels like it's quite a hard burden to deal with. My third one is learner, which means I love learning. It also means I love teaching. It means I love breaking things down. So I've had to learn about myself that if I want to take something on board like this book, I read it back to front, back to front, over and over again. Like I immerse myself in it. And then I start thinking, how could I say that to someone? How could I apply that? So that's how I take on information. I don't take it in a kind of input way, like bits of information. I don't necessarily analyse it or challenge it. I just absorb it. My fourth one is restorative, which means I like to fix things. It actually means I'm very lacking in vision because I'm not going to be the person out in front of you saying this is the way we should go. If you say this is the way we should go, I'll say, great, how do we do that? I need to be led by a, a bigger picture, but I will break that thing down down, 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 and fix it, reflect on it. It also drives me insane because it causes perfectionism. Because every time I do something, I will instantly say, how could I have done that better? What are the strengths and weaknesses of what I just did? How will I change that? It means that I lose a little bit of joy because in the middle of uh, doing my preschool on Sunday, I think, oh, next week we actually need to be doing this. So I need to be thinking about that now, and my brain's gone. So that's a, a strength but it's something that I have to work on. And the last one on my top five has gone from my head. No, that's strange, isn't it? Maybe I've done them all. Anyway, that one wasn't important. But what has been helpful for me is uh, knowing Luke's ones. We overlap on learner because we are interested in education, but we love knowing things, one-upping each other on knowing things. We love arguing about the things that we know. That's a really great source of overlap for ours. Our other ones just couldn't be more different. But it's been so helpful because that language is strong and it's positive and you can know your strengths. That's something you can look totally online. It's Clifton's or Gallup is kind of organising it. Something you can look up the Strength Finder. The other thing is Myers-Briggs, which I know has been around for a long time and goes in and out of popularity. But it is the same kind of thing. It's a... Uh, Jungian psychological typing, there's 16 different ones. It's how you see the world, how you take on information, how you structure yourself, and how you make decisions. So that looks at introversion, extroversion, whether you're a judging person or a perceiving person, whether you sense things. It is just a simple way, same again through a questionnaire, of diagnosing yourself and thinking, cool, that's quite interesting. Um, it's not about boxing you, and you can actually move um, you know, talking about my family earlier, my mum tracked, she did our Myers-Briggs for us from when we were young, and tracked how they developed. And that's just a language we used. That was just a safe language. Charlotte, you're making that call because you're more of a judger than a perceiver. But I, I'm more interested in feelings, so I have that combination of feelings and judgings. That's just, I, every time I get something, I think, oh, I just get the hard ones. Why can't you be a thinker? And a perceiver. That's the ones you want to win in. Don't possess those. But that lang it's just language to free you. Language to talk about yourself. Language to see someone else and think, ah, oh, they're a perceiver. They're much more gracious to people than I am. They're very good at saying, do you wonder why that person's like that? And I say, well, no, they just shouldn't be. And I get, I get emotional about that because I run it through my heart, not my head. So I'm running through my heart. I don't understand why that person has been like that. But I'm aware of that's why I'm responding. So I can step back and think, okay, Charlotte, just take a day. Think about that again. Pop it through your head because you still do have one. It's just a way of helping you. The other one is Enneagrams. 
whole lot of controversy around them. They're a self-assessment personality typing as well. They put a lot of reasoning behind why you are. So I found the assessment really hard. Also, just a warning, there's an eclectic electrical energies Enneagram, not the one we'd like you to look at, okay? Just maybe go to Enneagrams, just Enneagrams for normal people, not other unusual spiritualities. Um, we did that and accidentally gave the wrong address to our life group uh, to be on board with that, so that went well, learning from mistakes. I found the assessment really hard. When I read the different types of numbers and started to see the reasoning behind it, so one of the ones for my one is a, a yearning to do the right thing and to be recognised for doing stuff. So I can match it up with my emotionally unhealthy, the doing for God, not being with God, and I could start to build a picture and be like, this is something I struggle with, and that led me to kind of explore that personality. So I'm suggesting these because you need tools. If we're going on this big journey, it's not navel-gazing and airy-fairy spending a lot of time wondering about ourselves. You can do tests, and you can learn things, and you can explore and wonder what that means and wonder what it looks like at work, what it looks like at home, what it looks like with Jesus helping me to get this thing sorted. So that's why I'm suggesting them. I just want to close uh, with the story about Charles Yeager. So I'm not normally excited by anything to do with science, sorry, but uh, this is an incredible story from the book that really spoke to me. In October the 14th, 1947, uh, they've been trying to develop a project to put military pilots into space, but they needed to do a little thing called punching through the sound barrier. And Chuck Yeager, Charles Yeager, was invited to be a test pilot. Now, previous test pilots had exploded. Previous planes had exploded. And so the thing, only thing they could say to him is, we have no idea what you're flying into. So the plane had all the technology. They had worked on everything. But the outcome was not guaranteed because every other attempt had failed. After nine attempts, he finally broke the sound barrier. And when he reflected on the experience, he talked about the fact that all that anxiety and all that build-up when he finally broke the sound barrier, it was like a perfectly paved speedway. All the anticipation, all the anxiety, all the attempts that were done before in that moment, he said it was like poking your finger through jelly. It was a non-event. It was that easy. And the reason this stirred me up is because just like you are going to be in a plane trying to break the sound barrier, your life is going to get the shakes over this term. The process of maturing causes things to be brought to the surface and it will be uncomfortable. But if you move forward, just like Charles Yeager found, you'll find that God is with you and behind you. His grace is sufficient. His power is accessible. And it's not an unknown. It's just like poking your finger through jelly. So um, this week when you're exploring in your groups and when you're thinking about this week, you're looking at David and comparing his emotional development to Saul and the fact that he was able to be emotionally honest and uh, spiritually connected and contemplative. If this big thing is in front of you, you are not alone. God has gone before you. He totally can handle what's behind you. And after all the anticipation and anxiety, it's just about pushing through. I'd like you to stand and I'll pray the prayer that's at the end of chapter 2. Lord, help me to be still before you. Lead me to a greater vision of who you are, and in doing so may I see myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Grant me the courage to follow you, to be faithful to become the unique person you have created me to be. I ask you for the Holy Spirit's power to not copy another person's life or journey. God, submerge me in the darkness of your love. 
that the consciousness of my false everyday self falls away from me like a soiled garment. May my deep self fall into your presence, knowing you alone, carried away into eternity like a leaf in the November wind. In Jesus' name, amen.